0: My name is Sherry Richardson. I work in a small group every that meets every other Monday. Um, you're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. If you have a Bible, why don't you grab it or turn it on and turn to the book of First Kings? First Kings. <clears throat> um, the books of First and Second Kings were written to answer a question that haunts people and churches and companies and nations. It's the question: how did we get here? How did we get here? How did I wind up in the backseat of a police car? How did we wind up filing for divorce? How did I wind up getting fired, declaring bankruptcy, getting kicked out of school, being estranged from my own family? How did this conflict escalate all the way to war? How did the corruption go unchecked? How does a nation lose its way? How could a local church split? How could a pastor cover up sexual abuse in a church? Like, how do we get here? This is the question that Israel is asking itself in the long wake of Babylon's siege of Jerusalem and subsequent exile of the majority of its population in 586 B.C., There had been a time roughly 350 years earlier when Israel was on top of the world. They had the wisest king that anyone had ever known, more wealth than any other nation in the known world at the time. They had a military that had conquered all foes, a thriving architecture and arts industry and culture. 450 years they had gone from being a nomadic refugee camp of former slaves to the most powerful nation in their part of the world. 350 years later, that once proud, once great kingdom had been divided by a civil war. The northern kingdom and its 10 tribes called Israel had gone through 19 kings before they were conquered and assimilated by Assyria. In 722 B.C., the southern kingdom and its two tribes called Judah had seen 20 kings come and go before being conquered and exiled by Babylon in 586 B.C. Jerusalem had been besieged, its walls torn down, its temple destroyed. Its best and brightest citizens had been exiled to a foreign land to serve a foreign king. And all that remained in Jerusalem were the poorest of the land, overseen by a small garrison of troops and a foreign administrator who couldn't even be bothered to put his office in the town. They looked around and said, How did we get here? Sometimes it is only with the passage of time that you get any real clarity on the answer to that question. It's important as you're reading your Bible to know when the book you're reading was written. See, the book of Kings wasn't written contemporaneous with the events that it describes. It has the benefit of time. Roughly 350 years of time, give or take. And it is essentially a post-mortem analysis, if you will, of the decline and fall of Israel. It contains very real questions asked by very real people living through the darkest days of Israel's history. Questions like, where is God? Was Moses wrong? Are these Babylonian gods real? Are they more powerful than Yahweh? If we are God's people, how have we been divided and dispersed, conquered and humiliated? What about the temple? What about God's presence? What about the ark? What about the covenant promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to David? Was any of this ever even real at all? The book of Kings is written to answer those questions to Israel. It's written to encourage you and I to say, yes, God is still here. Yes, He is the only true God, and yes, He is still working, still controlling history, still keeping His promises, still advancing His purposes in human culture. He is still good. He is still trustworthy. He is still worthy of worship, still ready to forgive all those who will repent of their sin and turn to Him in faith. And it says to Israel and to us, rather than interpreting God through your circumstances and the world around you, what you ought to do is interpret your circumstances and the world around you through God. We'll do that together this morning by zooming in on the waning years of the life of King Solomon. He's the third and last king over a united Israel, and we see in his life a... Tragic post-mortem on Israel's downfall, but also a sobering reminder of our own need to guard our hearts and our lives, lest we too find ourselves one day looking back, saying how did we get here? Things began well for Solomon, as they often do. The clear theme of the first part of his story is the first admonition in your sermon notes, if you're someone who likes to follow along there, is this, to set your heart holy on the Lord. Set your heart holy on the Lord. <coughs> this is the general theme of the deathbed blessing that King David gives to his son Solomon. 1 Kings 2, 2-3. David says to his son, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Son, he says, set your heart wholly on the Lord. And Solomon was a picture of just that through the first half of the book. We see early in his life a picture of what it looks like to have a heart that's set wholly on the Lord. We see first that to set your heart wholly on the Lord, you have to ask for wisdom. You have to ask for wisdom. The very beginning of his reign. We read this of Solomon in 1 Kings 3, 5-9. It says that Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. Solomon's famous request, you skip down to verse 9, was for the wisdom to lead God's people well. He says to God, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great? God tells him in response that because that was his request, not only will he get wisdom, but he will also receive riches and honor that no king will compare to him and that God will lengthen his days if Solomon will walk in God's ways and keep God's commandments. I wonder if God offered you anything, what would you ask for? Because Solomon's heart was set wholly on the Lord. All he asked for was the ability to carry out his God given calling well for God's glory and for God's people. Second, we see in Solomon's early life that to set your heart wholly on the Lord, you have to seek his presence. To seek his presence, in chapters 3 and 4, Solomon's wealth and his wisdom grow. They're on display. In chapter 5, he prepares for what will become the defining legacy of his life, the construction of the temple. In chapter 6, he builds it. But right in the middle of chapter 6, in the middle of all these descriptions of rooms and building materials and layouts and design, we read this in 1 Kings six, eleven to 13. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon. The Lord says to him, Concerning this house that you're building, if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will not forsake my people Israel. In other words, God says to him, Solomon, You're gonna crush it as a general contractor. I'm not worried about that. The house is nice. Thank you. Please don't forget that the point is not the house. The point is whether or not my presence dwells in it. When we gather here on Sunday mornings, the point is not to entertain you or to educate you or to enlighten or even frankly to encourage you. The point is for us to seek the presence of the Lord together. Some of us have started to dream about what it might look like if we were able to expand this facility to accommodate the growth that we know is coming. But if and when we ever get to that point, the point will not be the building The point will be whether or not we continue as we grow to seek the presence of the Lord together, or whether or not at some point it becomes about us. It's the presence of the Lord. You know why I like my house? We live in Park West. I like my house because Kristen and my girls live there. Otherwise, it's just a house. It's their presence. You know why I love our church? Because I have experienced the presence and the spirit and the work of God more here in our season of being a church family than I have at any other point in my life before. And Sometimes you just need to be reminded, as Solomon did, to seek the presence of the Lord first. God's been gracious to me. Over the course of the past six months or so, two different occasions, he just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said to my heart, Chip, concerning this church you're building, it's just grace. Because if you or I, if we are going to have hearts set wholly on the Lord, we have to seek his presence first. third, See, in Solomon's early life, to set your heart wholly on the Lord, you have to remember his covenant. You have to remember his covenant. Chapter 7, Solomon builds his own house next to God's house, the temple. Later, by the time you get to Jesus, um, Herod's going to have rebuilt uh, the temple that's been destroyed. And you may have seen in some of your New Testament Bible maps, Solomon's portico. That's because Solomon used to have a house there. Solomon builds his house in chapter 7. Chapter 8, the temple is finished. The last thing that they bring into the temple is the ark of God. It's the symbol of the throne of God, a symbol of the very presence of God with his people. Bringing it into the temple is essentially the ribbon-cutting moment. It is the final act. It is a crescendo that had been building for 480 years since Israel had walked out of Egypt through the Red Sea. 1 Kings 8, 6 says this of that moment. The priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. Skip to verse 9. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord filled comes with the ark of the Lord which contains only one thing the ten commandments that symbolize the covenant that God had made with his people oh friends if your hearts will be set wholly on the Lord you must remember his covenant you must know his promises must know his story To learn to hear his voice, not in goosebumps because the band was really great or because you think you got a sign and your French toast looks like the Virgin Mary. (laughs) Because you've hidden his word in your heart and you know his covenant. You could say with King David in Psalm 16, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord ever before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. But you have to read his word to obey it. You have to be committed to his church to love it. You have to remember his covenant to cherish it. Fourth, In Solomon, we see that to set your heart holy on the Lord, you have to live on mission. You have to live on mission. The rest of chapter 8 is Solomon's dedication of the temple. It's glorious. If you're following along in our devotional plan, you read it this week, but if you haven't, I would encourage you to go back maybe this afternoon and just read through 1 Kings 8. It will encourage you and challenge you and humble you He dedicates the temple, and right at the end, you get to what is essentially the benediction of the dedication service of the temple, Solomon's final words to his people, that he gets to the benediction, and he says to Israel, we love you, go in peace. That's not what he said. That's what we say. What he said, what he says is, 1 Kings 8, 55 to 61, it's much better. Solomon stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Don't forget Solomon says. This is not about us. We have not reached some finish line because we constructed this temple. It's not about us, Israel. It's about how God is working through us to reach the world that all the peoples of the world might know that the Lord is God. This is a nation called to live its life together on mission that all the people of the world may know. So too we, on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, understand that as Christians, as a local church, we are called to live on mission together. The spheres of influence that God has given us, just the everyday places we live, learn, work, and play together. As we come together in our community to link arms and local outreach and evangelism. As we partners, we'll talk here later in the service about, with others around the world to plant gospel preaching churches, that all the people of the world may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Then you get in verse 61. This mic drop moment, this final charge to Israel and to you and I. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in His statutes and keeping His commandments as at this day. Set your hearts wholly on the Lord. You Fast forward to 1 Kings 11. three chapters later, verse 4 says, When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. 350 years later, when the exiled remnant refugees of Israel would look back, trying to piece it together as they live in this tattered, ghost town that was jerusalem or is there in exile and they look back and they say how did we get here the answer begins right there in chapter 11 verse 4 solomon's heart was not holy true to the lord his god second admonition in your notes don't let it be divided Set your heart wholly on the Lord. Don't let it be divided. This is the cautionary truth that I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to see in the life of Solomon together this morning. Set your life wholly on the Lord. Don't let it be divided. It's easy to see in chapter 11 what it was that divided Solomon's heart. First, through his life, we're warned not to let our hearts be divided by disordered affections. Disordered affections. Chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which... The Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love. Now, not many of us are in danger, I think, of having 700 wives and 300 concubines, which is what chapter 11 says Solomon had. But we are all too prone to disordered affections. We take the good gifts of God and we use them, as C.S. Lewis writes in screw tape letters, in ways, at times, or in quantities other than God intended. We take the good gifts of God and we use them in ways, times, or quantities other than the way that God intended. So sex, money, influence... Comfort, leisure, rest, good food, good wine, family, children, marriage, all good gifts of God, if enjoyed, when, how, and to the degree that God intends. Otherwise, they become disordered affections and they begin to divide our heart. Away from the Lord our God and toward his stuff. Second, we're warned as we observe the life of Solomon not to let our hearts be divided by corrupted worship. A corrupted worship. Verses 4 to 8 of chapter 11 Solomon himself worships and then he builds altars so that his wives can worship. Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Milcom of the Ammonites, Chemosh of Moab, Molech of the Ammonites, and verse 8 said, so he did for all his foreign wives. Any god among the 700 got an altar. Hey honey, you know what? Um, You just do your thing and I'll do my thing. You know, I mean, as long as it's spiritual, you know? That's what matters, as long as we're spiritual people. Uh, who am I to tell you who to worship? It all, You know, religion is very personal. It's very personal. A lot of it just really depends on how you were raised, where you were born. You know, it's all kind of we get there in the same place in the end. Corrupted worship. I mean, I, I know he's not a believer yet, but he's a really good person. I mean, I, she says she's an atheist, but she's so hot. A divided heart. I mean, the sermons don't necessarily come from a text, but it's so encouraging. He's such a gifted speaker. I just always leave feeling so good. There are some people and some churches today who label themselves as Christian who are so detached from anything resembling anything like biblical truth that I really wish they would just pick a different noun are not Christian, and their worship is corrupted, and they are leading people into a place of having a divided heart. And King's Cross, hear me, if we do not guard the gospel, if we do not hold the men who stand in this pulpit to a high standard, if we do not challenge one another to live up to the high call of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we too risk drifting into corrupted worship that will divide our hearts and years from now, the community that God has placed us in and given us influence in will look at this place and shake their heads and say, how did they get there? Because their worship got corrupted and our hearts got divided. Third, we are warned not to let our hearts be divided by self-confidence self-confidence, 1 Kings 11, 9 and 10, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Early on, all of Solomon's confidence came from God's covenant promises, God's word, God's people, God's purposes for him and for Israel. By the end, all of Solomon's confidence came from Solomon. Is not this the great threat of prosperity and success? When we are desperate, we are dependent. When we're on shaky ground, we're on our knees. When we are full of fear, we lean on faith. But when we're stable, when we're established in our career, we've insulated ourselves from catastrophic loss, when we're healthy, when we've raised our family, well, then the temptations change, don't they? Solomon's heart didn't divide in some instant because sin and temptation suddenly exploded into his life in a moment of weakness where he made one small mistake and it cascaded into this series of unforeseen things. That's not what happened. Solomon settled into it slowly as he became more and more stable and established and secure and self-confident. And here's how we know that's true. Look back again at verse 4. In case you missed it, when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to other gods. Now, I was shaken a little bit by this this week. I'm 48. I'll be 49 this fall. And as I was studying, scholars say that Solomon was about 60. I didn't feel old to be anymore. (laughs) But that's what they said. He's 55 or 60 years old. He's been king in Israel for 40 years. God's last warning for us in his life is not to let our hearts be divided by time. To let our hearts be divided by time. There was a time in his younger days when Solomon taught Israel and led Israel and cautioned Israel a time when he called Israel to live for God to worship to serve and to sacrifice for God a time when all he cared about was doing his part in his calling for the glory of God and the good of God's people that was what he lived for but sin doesn't back off just because you age does it older saints Temptation is not the challenge of the young. It's the challenge of the living. The One who endures to the end will be saved. Can I encourage you? If you are closer to the finish line than the starting blocks, don't let up. Don't you do it. Don't let your heart be divided by the passage of time. You lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and you run with endurance the race that has been set before you looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. In the end, as they look back and do this post-mortem and ask how did they get here, that's the call that resounds through 1 Kings is a call to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. See, God knew all this was coming. He'd foretold it to David all the way back in 2 Samuel 7, long before Solomon was born, before David had even gone up on that roof and seen Solomon's mom Bathsheba. God had said this was going to happen. 2 Samuel 7, 12-16. The Lord says to King David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that's where we started, a deathbed blessing. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body, Solomon, your biological son. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, the temple, dedicated in chapter 8. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And Israel sits in shambles, Looking back on the promises of God to King David. And they say, Was any of that ever even real? What happened to that forever kingdom and a forever throne? And we don't even have a city to put walls around. What they couldn't see from their vantage point, we can from ours. Because we know on this side of the cross that Solomon was just an echo of the future. He was just a partial fulfillment of another son of David yet to come. A son who was a biological descendant of David on his mother's side. Whose coming would usher in the kingdom of his father. Who actually never committed iniquity and yet was still disciplined with the rod and the stripes of men. And though he died, his resurrection proved that God's steadfast love had not departed from him. And his house and his kingdom and his throne have been established forever. And our call, no matter what stage or season of life that we are in, is to set our hearts wholly on the Lord Jesus Christ and not to let it be divided by anyone or anything, even the passage of time. So that one day when we stand before him and he says, How did you get here? The only answer that we need give. So I was invited by the king to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's how I got here. Let's pray. Father, your word comes to us, I pray fresh, to encourage us, to warn us, would you enlighten our hearts towards you, keep us in step with you, tether our lives to you and to one another that we might walk in your ways and your statutes and your commandments. Don't let comfort or self-confidence divide our hearts. Keep us, as we age, near to you. Keep us as a church, as a faith family, a place where the gospel is front and foremost in all things. We might remind each other, point each other towards it, encourage one another with it. that We might love and serve one another well so that the community that you have placed us in and peoples to the ends of the earth might know that there is a God and there is no other but the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.